The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for communicating to us your love for us and your character. And Father God, I pray that you'll open up our hearts and uh, empower us to hear your word and understand it and apply it to our lives. Uh, Just empower Ryan as he speaks, give him clarity and uh, the words from your Holy Spirit, and uh, we're trusting you for that, Lord. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Good morning, church. Oh, let me say that again. Good morning, church. Uh, Can you uh, turn your head to your neighbor and say, good morning, neighbor? God loves you. Okay, turn to your other neighbor and say, good morning, neighbor. God loves you. Amen, amen. So. Uh, if you guys don't know who I am, my name is Ryan. I am uh, one of the uh, deacons here, and that's just a fancy word to say I'm a table servant. And, and that's what it means. That's, it means to serve the table of God, and that's the table of God here, the congregation, the church, and that's what we're called to do. And today, uh, we're going to go ahead and dig, uh, dig deeper into James, right? So the last couple of weeks, we've been going through James, and James itself by itself, it's a crushing book. You guys agree? It's a crushing book. Why? Because it tells you who you are. It tells you your failings. It tells, it tells you your flaws. So it's a crushing book by itself. But without grace, without grace, it's a crushing book. But James starts off in chapter 1. He says, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Can you imagine that? See, this guy is a guy who grew up with Jesus. You guys have any siblings at all? Anyone raise your hands if you have any siblings? I think everybody has siblings, right, unless you you grew up uh, uh, as a single kid. But everyone has siblings. So he saw Jesus growing up. He saw Jesus glorifying God. So So James doesn't pull any punches, Right? The book itself just goes straight to the heart and says, this is what it is. I don't know if you guys have friends like that, but that, you know, that doesn't have a filter. And so so I, <laughs> I have a couple of friends, and James is like that. Paul is different. Paul is more like, hey, you know what, Galatians, you guys are not doing this or that. But James is like, hey, you, right? Even he starts it off, he said, come now. It's kind of like a, a new version of, come on, man. Come on, guys, Right? So James is straight to the point. Now, I want to start off with, um, uh, with a parent text. So if we can bring our text back, uh, we're talking about uh, starting verse 13, come now, who you say, and starting from that. But before I get to that, I want to build something from it. I want to uh, build the context of where James is coming from. So let's do that. So in the context of where James is coming from, he's talking about when it was during the Roman Empire, right? So during the Roman Empire... Uh, the economic class was divided with wealthy and the normal or the poor, right? Uh, there's really not uh, a lot of middle class in between. 
So really, James is uh, taking aim at the wealthy Christians right at this time. So that's the context. So think about people when they say this, people had expendable income who can say, I will go to such and such a town, spend 12 months, trade, and make money. That's amazing, right? That's insane that you can say that if you have expendable income. And then you contrast that with the poor, the normal, where everything that they do is, is dependent upon their livelihood. Like if we took an example of a carpenter, right? If it's Joseph and Jesus doing carpentry and they have a, they have a project. If they did a good job and they'll be successful at the end of the day, then they will have a meal. They would eat, right? But if they didn't, then they wouldn't eat. And that's why in the New Testament, the context of describing paradise as a banquet, as a banquet, is lost on us, right? Well, what is a banquet? That's just Sunday lunch, right? That's just just dinner tonight. But back then, a banquet was big. For the marginalized, for the poor, Jesus is taking aim at that. See, today... um, uh, I looked up some stats. Uh, if you have a bank account and you have savings, you are uh, within the top 30% of the world, top riches of the world. The world, world poverty rate lives on $1.90 per day. So if we put ourselves back into James, we're all wealthy. We're all wealthy. There might be one or two. Now, I'm not naive to say that there's no poor people in the United States. There is. They struggle, and that's true. But the posture of the heart is prone to generate a heart of arrogance when you're wealthy. But in the same way, a heart of poverty can produce a heart of spite, right? If someone commits a crime because they're too poor, that's an insult to God. That's an insult to say that he's not enough. So while James takes aim at the wealthy Christians here, the overall arching message is that our posture affects how we see God. It's a perspective. So today I want to draw out Two things uh, from our text, but before that, let's go to uh, Proverbs chapter 30. If you have your Bibles today, and I encourage you to get your Bibles out, your Bible app, let's go to Proverbs chapter 30, verse, uh, we'll start with verse 7 through 9. And this is uh, an agar. Agar uh, is only mentioned once in Proverbs. Um, some historians or scholars think that he, he is a, uh, uh, the pseudonym for Solomon, but we don't know. But I want to frame this to what James is talking about. So let's start reading. And this is Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9, and let's follow along. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and say, or in deny and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. See, Agar frames his prayer, one, with a prayerful submission to God. 
He didn't say, do this for me. He said, I ask of you. And then he frames that with his life. He said, before I die, before I die, I know I'm going to die. Before I die, I ask of you two things. And that's how we're framing James. Because James is widely influenced by, by, by wisdom literature. Right? And his audience are also also influenced by wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Job, all of that. So that's how we're framing this. So let's start with the first one in, uh, in verse 13. But before we do, let me pray. Um, so just so I can, one, I can have my heart humbled by God right now and we can listen to his words, okay? Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for um, an opportunity to be uh, here and an opportunity to just wake up and preach your word. Lord, I pray that you open up hearts today, that you soften hearts today and open ears to your word, not mine. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, this is my prayer, this is our prayer. And everyone said, amen. So let's start with verse 13. Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? What is your life? So James attacks our pers perspective right away. Right? He's not holding any punches. He said, you know what, what is your life? You who say that you're going to plan this, plan that, and yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And I think it's being generous because we don't know what today will bring. Amen? Like, let, let, let's chat for a minute. Um, who, has, uh, who has some plans after church? Okay. Who has plans uh, tomorrow? Okay. Who has plans the week, uh, throughout the week? A month? Year? We all have plans, right? We all have plans. And yet he's telling us, James is asking us, what is your perspective? What is your life? You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And that's heavy. When I was studying this, uh, uh, it was Thursday, and I was driving home. And what my usual routine be would be to call my wife and just say I'm on my way home. Uh, I was on the 905. And uh, I was about a mile away from the 805. And this car in front of me uh, started spinning. I think they were trying to swerve uh, uh, away from another car and started spinning. And the car ended up facing the other way. Uh, and that's crazy. And that's, I mean, I was far enough to see what happened, but I was close enough to see, to know that my life could have changed that day. And uh, my wife calls me because I didn't call her yet. And she's like, hey, are you doing all right? I was like, oh, not really. <laughs> I just, uh, I was just kind of shocked. So he's asking us and he's telling us, you don't know what's going to happen today. Now, that's not, more, uh, that's not, not any more fleshed out um, at church or, or it's any, not any more fleshed out uh, more in suffering, right? Uh, when someone ha becomes suddenly ill 
or, or even, even in death, our hearts, our hearts always say what? That it was so unexpected. It was so unexpected. And James is asking, where is this confidence coming from? Where is this idea that we are all we need? Where is this idea of arrogance coming from? Now today, I tell you that as I study this, it worked on my heart because I know I am arrogant. I know I plan things without looking at God. So it's hard. You know, in June 28, 1997, uh, Tyson vs. Holyfield 2 was going to happen. Now who's familiar with Mike Tyson? Mike Tyson was one of the baddest men in the planet. He was knocking out people like left and right. But what happened though prior to Tyson uh, Holyfield 1 was that he got knocked out in the 11th round by Holyfield. Right? So in uh, part 2, a reporter asked him, hey, are you worried about this guy? Like, what are, you, what are your plans with Holyfield? You know what he said? He said, everyone has plans until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> right? And then the next thing that happens is that he was, Tyson was basically getting uh, punched in the mouth and he bit uh, Holyfield's ear. So that, I don't think that was his plan, but it happened. So just like Tyson, we plan things, and when it doesn't work, when our plans fall apart, when one punch shakes us from that, we start biting at people. We start gnawing at God and say, hey, I deserve this. I planned for this. The least you could do is do it for me. I remember uh, Randall preached about uh, Jesus being a resurrected butler how we see him that way. That when things don't go uh, our way, we just kind of call on him and say, hey, I need another pillow, and if you can lay it on my head, that'd be great. And that's James framing our perspective. What is your life? Um, Psychology Today wrote this, and let me read it to you. I don't know if it's gonna be there. It has become clear that one of the pivotal feats of uh, human accomplishment is that we take millions of bits of information constantly swarming around us and pull from them some coherent and interpretable reality. When that reality is seen as making sense and our own small existence seems to have a point and matter in some way, then our lives feel meaningful and we are on the road to flourishing. That's psychology. I love it when science catches up to the Bible. Because basically what he's saying, when we find meaning, when we find what our life is and who our life is, then we find our meaning. The challenge today is, is looking at ourselves and actually acknowledging who we are. We shy away from feeling needy. Our community, our society pulls us and tells us, be self-reliant, dream, dream big, pursue your dreams. 
The Bible tells us to rely on the Lord. Now, I don't know what your plans are for your life. I don't know what your bucket lists are. But I ask you, have you considered the actual value of your life? In Galatians, um, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul asked Galatians this question because what happened was that after receiving the gospel, false teachers started coming in and saying, hey, these new Christians, they need to be circumcised. They need to do the old law. They need to follow the old commandments, the old covenants. Basically what they're saying is Jesus is not enough. And Paul says, no, that is not true. Even our songs reflect that, don't, doesn't it? Prone to wonder, the God I love. I'm prone to wonder the God I love. It reflects our heart. Why does self-reliance go straight against the idea of us being needy? And that's one of the things that we are needy people. We just don't want to acknowledge that. And I know some of you are probably scoffing at that idea already. Some of you might be saying, look, you know what? That's all good, but I have made it here at this point of my career on my own. So who are you to tell me that I need God? I'm not anyone. I'm not a a motivational speaker. I am someone, I'm just a servant of God that God is speaking through, that's saying, and that's challenging you. The Holy Spirit can challenge your heart today to open that and hear his word. A few years ago, uh, my wife and I um, decided that I was going to go to pharmacy school, that I was going to be a pharmacist, and that's a long time. Now, when I talk to uh, a lot of uh, sermons, there's usually not a lot of pharmacists. So anyone else here who's a pharmacist? Anyone? No? No? Oh, we do have one. That's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Um, usually there's a lot of nurses, a lot of, you know, doctors. Um, so you can feel me when I say it's a long road ahead, right? So a few years ago, my wife and I decided that, hey, we're going to go and um, we're going to do pharmacy school. And, uh, and I told her that, but we can't afford childcare. So I already had two kids when we decided. Um, and, I, and she told me then, what's our plan? And I said, you know what? You stay in San Diego with the kids and I'll go. That was an arrogant move in my life uh, that I know I made, I made that decision on my own. I know that. And my wife can attest to that. It was four years that we were apart and, and that wrecked havoc in our marriage. And it... There's one night when I spoke with my daughter and I asked her, I said, honey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, not a pharmacist. I said, why not? Because I don't want to leave my family. I know it hurts. It hurts. But that's some of the things, the collateral damage that can come from our selfishness, from my arrogance. Now, I'm not saying that planning is bad. No, I'm not saying that. The Proverbs is full of wisdom and planning and preparation. What I'm saying is what James is going to be talking about a few verses down. 
See, like I said, remember this book is crushing if we don't bring it back to the one that is our hope, that is our joy, that is our salvation. Grace, grace, grace. And he answers us. And without hesitation, James adds us this. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So the question, what is your life? James says, you are a mist. So it's not enough that we don't know anything. James reduces us back down to a mist. The original Hebrew word for that word is, uh, is hebel. H-E-B-E-L or H-E-V-E-L which can mean vapor, breath, meaningless, or vanity. King Solomon uses the same word in Ecclesiastes when he said, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, or vapor, vapor, everything is vapor. Now, when you think about vapor or mist, what do you guys think about? You think about, don't think about fog, right? The fog that lingers for one hour, two hours. Think about a puff of smoke. Right? When, when it gets cold in San Diego, and yes, it does get cold in San Diego. If you guys have been here for a while, um, when it drops down to 60, it's, it's cold. <laughs> it's cold. Um, you know, when you take a breath and then you have that little air, right? You see that? That's vapor. And that, that's not clear enough. Let's do something together, a demonstration. Everybody take a deep breath. Breathe out. That is your life. You stop that and you're done. That is your life. James is saying you are a mist. When I was reading it, I said, James, man, come on. I get it. I get it. But do we? Do we? You know, the hard part about being up here is the tension of talking to um, believers that are either or that are either have been walking with the Lord for a long time, or are new believers, or people who are new to Christianity. Because the weight that James puts is a, a tension of how much weight can I put on someone so that we can put their perspective back to God. So if you're new here today and you don't know what this Christianity is all about, then I, I'm begging you and I'm telling you and I'm pleading with you, look to grace, look to the cross. Start there. And even if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, I bring you back to the cross and his resurrection. Start there. I want to frame that perspective. James continues to challenge us in, in that. Consider your life, he says. Consider your life. In Psalms 39.4, David writes this. He says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. And in the 11, he said, surely mankind all mankind is a mere breath. David knows, Solomon knows, James knows who we are. My question is, do you know who you are? 
is what is life if, if life is a mess and I'm finite and I can end, then who is God? Who is God? God is all-powerful. You agree? Amen? God is all-knowing. And God is all-present. So if I'm framing you guys and I'm, I'm bringing you guys to a, a mess, if James is putting us into a mess, I want to put you back up and, flow, and fling you to who God is. Now, when I say God is all-powerful, what does that mean? Um, A.W. Tozer ha- uh, had this quote. Since he has at his command all the power in the universe, the Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency, not our self-sufficiency, makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for a renewal of strength. All the power required to do all that he wills to do lies in an undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. He doesn't get tired. You know, when, uh, one of the things that uh, Randall, uh, I love what Randall does in the morning because even as a lead pastor, he, he sets an example that he's not above to pushing carts, right? Um, but there is times when our team gets tired uh, because those are heavy carts or when we set up. See, God doesn't. He's all-powerful. Have you guys ever spread yourself too thin and say, you know what, I got to scale back because I can't do that. God has never said that. God is all-knowing. What does it mean to be all-knowing? In in Psalms 147.4-5, he tells us that he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. An Australian study was found recently that the number of stars we can see by our eyes is 70 followed by 22 zeros. So if anyone knows what to call that, let me know. (laughs) And each one of those stars he knows by name. So I can tell you that, but I want to tell you that not only does he know the stars by his name, he knows you by name. In Psalms 139, David wrote in verses 1 to 4, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. So not only does he hold the universe in his hands, he holds you in his hands. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? There's one thing, you guys remember the movie uh, Exorcist, right? The, the, with the, the scary thing? You know when the priest comes and you know that it's going to be like a battle, right? And it's like, oh, that guy's going to get worked, right? Jesus in the Bible never does that. Jesus in the Bible when he is uh, presented with a demon, what do they do? They know who he is. He said, you are the holy son of God and I'm out of here. There's no duality with God and against the demons, 
There's no like, you know, let me fight you, 100 years war. It's like, no, I'm Jesus. I am. Boom. I'm, and you're out of here. There's no duality with that. Imagine that. And then in Jude chapter, uh, in Jude, there's only one chapter in 24 to 25. I want to encourage you with this because it says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. We stumble. And the one that keeps us up is Jesus. So if, that, that if, if, if he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing, he's all-present as well, well how, do we, how do we know that he is... This is what one of the things that about him that is wholly different than you and I. When he is all present, it's not just talking about matter, like he's big, like he's a giant. When he talks about he's all present, he is everywhere at once, and everywhere he is, all of his power resides. And let me say that again. You missed an amen moment there. Everywhere he is, all at once, all of his power resides. Amen? That's insane. If I am a mist, God is not. If I am finite, God is infinite. So I don't want to crush our spirit with our mist, with our misted life. But I want to push us and I want to throw us back into the strength and the power and the grace of who God is. And we know that he is all good. How do we know he's all good? You look to the cross. You look to the cross. Because everything that I've said, that he's all powerful, all knowing, and all present, he is all good because despite our stumbling, despite our arrogance, despite our self-reliance, he said, I'm coming down because I love you. Because I love you. Now, most of the time as we preach here, we, we want to move you away from yourself because we want to push you back to him. So anything that we say, the Bible itself, I want to remind that to you that this Bible, this word of God is not about you. This Bible is about God and what he does to make much of his name. So even in our salvation, even in his grace, that is for his name. That is how powerful he is. Back in uh, 2012, I got a call. Uh, I was actually taking my final, my second year in pharmacy school, and I got a call from my dad, and he said, um, hey, mom uh, is in the hospital. Um, he had a hemorrhagic stroke, and she is not waking up. And I was crushed. My dean and assistant dean found out, and they called me, and they said, hey, don't worry about your finals. You need to go home. My friends, uh, my classmates uh, pulled together, and they bought my plane ticket, said, go home. And two of my classmates said, we will drive you as well. 
our life is a mist. But despite that, God's providence and God's provision, provision is amazing. He continued to provide. My mom now is alive and well. She's in her uh, recovery. And praise God for that. So now I want to move us back to, you know, one of the things, even in our men's ministry today, uh, one of the things that we as a Christian or we as a church, we are always looking for, okay, but what do I do? What's my checklist? Right? So today there's not a lot of checklists, but I want to bring you back to what James is saying. In verse 15 he said this, but instead you ought to say if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Because as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. What a great segue by James. What a great way to turn our hearts back. Like being crushed, being told that we're a mist. But he said, but instead, you ought to say this. If the Lord wills, I can do this and I will do that. Again, I remember, I remember when I told you that planning is not bad. But the question is, when we plan, are we thinking about greater realities? Are we challenging ourselves and are we looking as to our plans that is according and due submission to the will of God? Because most of the time, if we're honest, we're not. We make plans, then we pray and say, bless my plans. If God wants, then my life, my mist can linger one more day. If God wills, my life will linger one more week and I can serve him in that one week. If God wants, then my life will be measured for his glory. It's tough, but it's amazing as well that James puts us back where we need to be. Now, is James asking us to say, hey, if I, somebody asks me today, Ryan, what's your plan today? Well, I'm going to have lunch, if the Lord wills. Or, you know, if they ask you, hey, what's your plan for the week? Well, I'm going to go do Costco shopping and all that, if the Lord wills. Is that what James is asking us? No. No. Now, you can say that if it gives you a reminder of who God is. But that's not a commandment to do so. Why? Because what happens is that we, began to, we can begin to use it as a slogan, as a magic word. Right? Oh, if the Lord wills, I can do this. Jesus himself said, don't say or don't uh, heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles. Because if we heap up just empty phrases, then it does not mean anything to God. So James is not asking us to do that. James is asking us to consider who God is. In Colossians chapter 3, and this is the application. If you want to, if we're looking at application, this is what James is after. Starting in verse 1, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, if then you're a Christian, if you are a believer, 
You seek the things that are above where Christ is. Again, note that the focus is Christ, not us. Who is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That little phrase right there is what James is after. When Christ, when Jesus, who is your life. When 401ks are not bad, vacations are not bad, career plans are not bad, planning is not bad. But when we don't take into account who God is in those plans, then we are arrogant to say that we can do them. See, I'm already planning for my son to be a golf um, pro. Um, he loves golf. He's two years old, and he watches golf on, uh, on, on uh, Instagram, and he just he has his little club, and he's like swinging, like swinging. Okay, guys? I'll tell you, this guy's good. But <laughs> that's arrogance. But what I'm saying is that I'm already planning for him, not for the golf or for anything, but I'm planning for his life to serve the Lord. If God wills that I can, I can lead him to who Jesus is, then I pray that he lives for God, that he might be the next pastor here. I don't know that, but I'm praying for that. I'm planning for that. That's Jesus Christ in my life. And if I'm thinking about 401Ks, I'm thinking about not my rest or my golf schedule when I'm 60 or 65. I'm thinking I will be an old man. I'll be an old man here, free of the 95, free to be under the guidance and leadership of whoever is the pastor at that time, free to encourage the young people that are going to be leading this church at that time. I'll be under that guidance. I will be right there, and I will be encouraging them. Vacation is not bad, but, but vacation is rest, but more so vacation becomes an idea or, or, or a plan for me to disciple the original church that God has given me. That I can bring back all my kids and my wife and I can lead them and I can encourage them and say, this is who God is in our lives because most of the time I don't. So guys, planning is not bad, but when he is out and when planning is devoid of who God is, then it's arrogance. And he says there as, well, when, when, when he says that arrogance or boasting is evil, and yet we just sang that we can boast, right? But there's a difference, there's an arrogant, arrogant uh, boasting and there's true arrogance, I mean true boasting that is hidden in Christ, that is, that is boasting in what he has done, done not mine. That's true, genuine boasting. So James continues to say, okay, then what happens with that? How can we continue to go around that? Because, again, when planning happens, great things can come about. Um, if we can bring out the Kid City Sport Camp that happened this week, that is amazing, amazing uh, planning on behalf of Randall and the team and in be, behalf of all the churches that was involved now, if there's no plans of how to do that and organize that, then it could be all chaos. 
even at church right now, there's uh, Randall, who's our lead pastor. There's Billy, who's our, our, our lead worship pastor. And then there's people who has come up here and preach, right, with Matt, Trevor, and I. And what are we saying in that? That no one is king in Gray City. No one reigns here but Jesus. In your life, how is that shaping up? It's heavy, I know. But I fling you back to the cross and I fling you back to Jesus. And this is James' last point. He said, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. This is far more invasive than when we say, let me just not do that. No, James says that's not enough. Since you've heard the grace, you've heard the gospel, you know what is good and good comes from God. If you fail to do that, then that is also sin for you. Now, when you hear that, that sounds crushing again because we look at it as like something that we can do. When we look at Christ who is our life, then it becomes different. How does this play out in our lives? Maybe, maybe sometimes you say, you know what, I'm going to miss church today because I have football or I have this or that. Or maybe you say, um, I haven't read the Bible because I've been doing something else. I've been binging on this Netflix um, show. See, when you become uppermost in your affections, everyone else takes last place. Now notice I didn't say second place, they take last place. When God is not uppermost in your affection, his last place. In John 8, he tells the story of a woman caught in adultery. It starts off with a group of Pharisees, a group of men who brought the woman who was caught. And he said, Jesus, this woman was caught sleeping with another man. And law tells us that he, she should be stoned. What does Jesus do? He bends over, he starts writing something on the ground, and they're all confused, like, what is he doing? Again, they say that this woman is a sinner, and the law tells us that she should die. No, Jesus is still writing something. He says, well, you have no sin, cast the first stone. And everyone got quiet. And the Bible says everyone from the oldest started leaving. And when Jesus noticed that everyone left, he came to the woman and said, woman, what happened? Has no one condemned you? So think about this, the woman was dragged, so she's bloody, bruised, beaten. Jesus laced, sits down next to her and lifts her head and said, so have I not condemned you. Go and sin no more. Jesus does not come to condemn the world. He came to save it. Now you may have come here and you're already beaten throughout the week. You've had a rough week. 
And you're saying, you know what, I don't know how else I can survive, but I can tell you that God, that Jesus comes at your bloodiest and most roughest week and says, get up. Get up. I've got you. I love you. Get up. Maybe that's why you're here today. Is this not an objective evidence today that you woke up, you got in your car, you brought your kids, that you are here today listening to this message today? Is this not an objective evidence that God is pursuing you, that God is after you, that God loves you? So yes, my life is a mist. But in the face of grace, my life counts because Jesus' perfection moves me to, pro- to progress. Jesus alone, Jesus' finished work, it was what counts. Now, there was a little boy and his mama who um, goes to a corner store every week. And every week, week when, he's, when they're done, uh, they go to the register, right? And there's an old man there, and he says to the little boy, little boy, go ahead, see that barrel of candy? Go ahead and grab a handful, put it in your mama's bag, take it home, and you can have it. And the little boy says, no, sir. So he goes and talks to the mom and says, hey, mama, is this okay for the little boy to take home? He says, yeah, it's fine. Go ahead and take some. Again, the old man will ask the little boy, go ahead and take some, get a handful, put it in your mama's bag. And the little boy will say, no, sir. So they'll go through that routine. And finally, the old man will just grab a handful and he says, you know what, here you go, take it home. Now, it happens every week, every time they're at the corner store or the grocery store. And his mom couldn't take it anymore. He said, son, what are you doing? Every time you say no, but when we get home, you, you eat everything. You eat all the candy. I have to take it away from you. Why do you keep saying no? And the little boy turns to his mom and said, Mom, you don't understand. He's got bigger hands than I do. <laughs> right? Guys, that's what God is. God has bigger hands than I do. Far more bigger. Now, I bring you to the gospel, and, and, and today, I, if that's you, I want to put you back through your perspective, our perspective, that we are a mess. But despite that, the grace of God, the cross, his resurrection is real, is true, and his grace is abounding. And if you feel like that's something you can do for today, something that you need for today, then this is a time for us to reflect on God's grace. It's hard to think of ourselves as a mist, but the alternative is so much better. I don't have to worry about my life when God has it in his hands. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for today, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for James, your brother. I thank you that you lived with him so that he can see who you are. He can see the mist um, that is his life, but he can look at you and say, he is my Lord. 
Lord, today I pray that whoever is um, hurting, who, whoever is limping today, Lord, that they may find your grace sufficient. Lord, I pray that as we end today, we continue to challenge our perspectives and to fling ourselves back to the cross, to our hope, to our joy, to you. You are our God. You are my God. Lord, thank you. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.